Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, a podcast to help the church read, pray, and interpret sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm Chase Krause. And I'm Ryan Pollock. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles. You guys ever used a soundboard before? Today's <laughs> our first day using a soundboard. We don't know how it works. We don't know what it is. Just a bunch of, but it, it looks really, to tell you the truth, it looks like an Atari system from the, uh, exactly what it from is. the early nineties, late eighties. I think the fun fact is we've been using this board since we started the podcast and I just never mess with it. Like I just, <laughs> all the presets are there and like, I just, I push one button. It's clearly a very advanced technological machine. It just looks like it's the Roadcaster pro. It looks like something a, a DJ from, like I said, the 80s would use. But uh, it's not that. I'm, I'm just deceived. I, I can get behind that. You know, yeah. what, you know what I'm talking about? Well, well, I don't know when you're listening to this, but odds are you listen to this and it's either, well, it's probably the day before Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. If you're listening to Christmas Day, I'm cool. Really happy. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. One and all. <laughs> when it, when, are we going to release this episode on Thursday? So Thursday, Christmas Eve. So, the, the, yeah. The eve of Christmas Eve. Merry, Merry Christmas, homies. Yeah, the eve of Christmas Eve. Yeah. Well, if our fo- I doubt anybody's going to listen to this on Christmas they Day better. proper. They better. When, if, well, that, it would have to mean they were checking their email or their, however you get your updates about podcasts, I That's suppose. Right. If you're flying with your kids on, or driving somewhere. You can listen to this. Children, uh, as a rule, love this show. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we get very high ratings in the... Uh, for for two-year-olds, four-year-olds? Yeah, the two to four demographic is huge with this podcast. Yeah, my, so Lena, my daughter, has been on this thing lately where when she doesn't like a song, she'll say, I don't like that. I don't like it. And she won't say, like, change it or next song, please. We're trying to like, teach her how to say that. Yeah. But she'll just keep saying, I don't like it, but louder and louder and louder. Solve your problem, dear. What would you yeah, like us to exactly. do? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This would be one of those things where she would say, I don't like it, I think, and ask me for the next one. <laughs> We've getting her into more than Mary Poppins lately, though. It's more it's more doable for me than some other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Ours, uh, our two-year-old loves Sound of Music. So mm, Nice. Very, Julie Andrews. Yeah, same, same deal. Yeah. Same movie, actually. Just... Yeah. One's more technicolor than That's the other. That's true. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Ryan, what are you doing for what are you doing for Christmas? Man, what are we doing? We're going to. We're trying to decide right now which service we're going to. In the past, we've always been midnight massers, but Doesn't work uh, with a two-year-old. Well, uh, did, you, you in, take, did you take Judith last year? Yes. Wow. Bold. And uh, she mostly slept through it this year. Sure. She would not no. sleep through. Yeah, it. Yeah, wouldn't go well. So the only way to make this happen is to put her to bed at her normal time, which is seven-ish. Wake her up at 11.30, I suppose. You guys are brave. Take her over there and then see if we can put her back to sleep. I don't know if that's really going to happen. We might just have to end up with all the other rapscallions at the 4 p.m. Sure, you know, yeah. I just love Midnight Mass. It's the uh, one with the most pomp and circumstance. No, yeah. The best agreed. music and all of that Same stuff. with like the Easter Vigil, right? It's like beautiful. If you go to all three Triduum services, it's gorgeous. It's awesome. But two-year-olds just aren't a fan. <laughs> aren't a fan. I was reading the other day the story of a soul and... Apparently, like, at least in France, back in St. Therese's day, like, they, would, they just wouldn't take kids to Mass, like, until they were old enough to receive communion, I guess. Because um, St. Therese writes about, like, how, like, her father, like, wouldn't they leave her alone because she wasn't old enough to go. Well, I have a special place in my heart for the Byzantine rite, where if you go to one of those services, it's just like, Ugh. kids run around everywhere. Yeah. They all and receive. They, and they all receive, and they all sit on the floor. And, like, you can tell it's just a little bit louder than yeah. a Latin rite sort of thing. But uh, it's a low hum, you know, yeah, like you can, right. you're aware of their presence, but they're participating to the extent that they're able. And the lack of pews just mean like, you know, mom and dad are here to work and the kids are here to play right. and kind of work as, as yeah. much as they can. I do enjoy it. I, I, 
makes you feel yeah. less like a spectator when you go to mass. You know, that, like, no, I love Byzantine rite. When you when beautiful. you when you show up and there's like something that approximates a stage and seats, you're like, okay, I'm at the movie theater, or yeah. I'm at like a concert, or I'm sure I'm something in some yeah. place where I'm a spectator. Vive you know? and I have have contemplated. Uh, becoming a Byzantine right Catholic family, we have not done it. I don't think we will necessarily do it. You but we have you couldn't really considered. do it. You couldn't do it here. Uh, there's no place in Austin where you could do it. There's one Byzantine liturgy at 10:30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at the Maronite Church. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. They use the Maronite place, but there's yep. still pews over well, there. Yeah, so, well, you yeah. gotta take what you do. Get, they you remove know? remove the pews uh, for that? Probably one not. Probably <laughs> <laughs> they should yeah, have just take them out. Vive and I have, have have had serious conversations. I don't think we will. I don't think we're called to it. We do enjoy it on occasion. Like we go just to, like we do love it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, but it's just beautiful. I just love it. I love the. I don't want to romanticize different rites, though, because they all have their different issues. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And since we don't belong to that one, we can't see any of their flaws. You know, we don't, sure, know, right. what, yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. know what their politics are. We don't know what right. they argue about, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. No, what, hypostasis. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> do you, brother, do you have a favorite uh, Christmas hymn or Christmas hmm. carol or anything that kind of gets you in Advent, the mood for the season? Advent or Christmas? Well... You, you can play fast and loose with those. So, There's a couple of them you can sing yeah, in both, right? Yeah, so Advent, this is like not a traditional hymn at all. Um, but for some reason, I find um, O Come Divine Messiah as a bumper. I just like that song. Have you heard that I song? I don't know. It's like a 70s song. I, th- I think I just grew up listening to it a bunch, like in church kind of thing. And it um, rips. Yeah, dude, it's just not all the time. So it depends who's, who's doing it, I guess. Um Bo, come, come, Emmanuel. It's a classic. You sing yes, it you can end. sing it in Christmas or in yeah, Advent. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very licit. Yeah. A Christmas song in particular. Hmm. Not married. Did you know? It's a heresy. You know what? Okay. I need to make one of the. <laughs> have you seen the Galaxy Brain meme? No. I where don't think it's so. like you start off and there's just like minimal rays of light emanating from your head, and the further into the meme oh, you go, yeah, 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 he's yeah, like, yeah. you know, he's, he's mastered the universe or something like that. I need to make one of those about Mary. Did you know? Because. Like, if you're too literal about it, then, of course, it's wrong, because she did know, to some extent. Sure. But then the further down the meme you go, the last the last slide of the meme would be, like, at the end of the day, it's just not a very good song, so who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I can get behind that. Because Mary did know, um, but at the same time, it sort of, like, tricks Protestants into invoking Mary, which is very cool that they That's do true. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of schmaltzy, and it's just yeah, not a very good tune. So it's not. It's a kind and I'm of sorry if you're listening to this, and that's like a jam for you. But also, don't listen to it if you're Catholic. It's, mm-hmm, it's like straight up not mm-hmm, in line mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Catholic thought. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if there's like a Christmas song. I mean, besides like the classics, like when you go to Spotify and go to Christmas classic playlists, we li- we bumped that playlist really hard when we were decorating our tree yesterday. Yep. We saved our tree decoration for the last week of Advent, though. It's a really Good for home, you. You know, yeah. it's Christmas. We've been getting them on the first Sunday of Advent and then do a progressive decoration. It's kind of what we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of yeah. what we did, too. The Christmas tree was like the last thing mm-hmm. we did. The old Elgin Christmas tree farm. Watch that's out. Where, we did we not went. buy one. We just, we had a plastic one that we put up. And we had to put a baby gate around ours because Eli wanted to eat the ornaments. Um, As one does. Yeah, which is probably not healthy. <laughs> yeah, Ju- Judith's great-grandmother got her a uh, little nativity set where they're all, it's it's pretty, but they're all ceramic. So ah. 
I spent a lot of last night saying, okay, don't knock them together. That's right. Don't throw them we've, and don't. We've been telling Lena, I remember, look with your eyes. And then she'll do this thing where she leans forward and makes her eyes all big. <laughs> it's like, it's decoration. She's like, oh, decoration. Look with eyes. And I'm like, yeah, look with your eyes. So she'll be in the middle of grabbing something. Like it's in her hand. And then she, I'm like, decoration, look with your eyes. She's like, oh. And then she'll like, keep it in her hand and just look with her eyes. Anyway. <laughs> well, friends, in case you haven't realized this yet, we're not doing a particular book of the Bible today. We have a Christmas theme episode for bum, bum, you. Bum, That's eight what, minutes in. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should have told you that at the beginning. When's the preamble going to be over? That's for good, right. For goodness yeah, sake that's here. Right. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about the, we're just talking about things that get us in the, in the mood to celebrate the season of Christmas here. Also mass, go to church as often as you can during Advent and Christmas. Yeah. So this year falls on a sort of an oh, yeah. interesting way. We so, should talk about that. Yeah. So uh, Christmas Eve is Friday mm-hmm. and then Christmas Day proper is Saturday. That means that the day after Christmas, the 26th, the Feast of the Holy Family, Holy Day of Obligation. It's a Sunday. It's a Sunday. So there will be no, if there'll be literally no Christmas Day mass after like 2 p.m. probably, um, it, most most dioceses. Um, I can't obviously speak definitely for every single church in the entire world. Um, because, yeah, 4 p.m., at least in the States, is officially the next day's liturgy. So odds are, I mean, your church might have a Sunday liturgy on Saturday night. Ours is not. Yeah. The priests are like, priest like I'm, I'm tired, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I need a little bit of a break before tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're getting our, our second born baptized. Hey, so when? Be, uh, on uh, the 11 a.m. Hey, Feast of the Holy Family. So nice. if y'all are here, you should come on down. Uh, we'll be in Phoenix. I'm sorry. Phoenix. Phoenix. We'll be in Phoenix. Rise from, of the Phoenix. We'll be in there from the 23rd through the 2nd. That's a goodly long time. Well, like when you're going to fly with kids, you know, you got to make a trip out of it. I haven't know? done it with two of them yet. Man, it's a, yeah, it's straight up not a good time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and like you just bust out the Bluetooth headphones and the whatever movie Lena wants to watch. And if y'all, if anybody out there is looking for a million dollar idea here, here it is. I'm about to give it to you right now. Make a rental car company that includes an option to have car seats in it so that you mm. don't have to carry car seats across the, yeah. the planet. Here. See, our, our thing is because Viva's family lives there, we're not renting a car. Because some actually do. Some will let you. They'll just charge you like 50 bucks for it. Really? Um, yeah. Not all of them. Before. Not all. It's like it's like the really expensive ones. Hmm. Um, not like, you know, the cheaper ones. <laughs> um, but like all of Viva's family, like they don't, none of them have little kids. Or if they do, they're using their car seats. Yeah. And so we have to, um, I think we found one extra one for Lena. But we have to, we have to bring Eli's big old monster. Yeah. Yep. And you have to suck. wrap it in plastic. Cause well, you can't. we have a, we have a, so we have a carrying case that oh, also like good. wears like a backpack, ah, right, right. It, but it thinks a monster. It's hefty. Yeah. It's, it's you going to check it. Yeah. You have to, I yeah. mean, I guess you could side check it, but that, that'd be annoying with kids in there. You don't want to carry it through the airport. Yeah. I just hope we don't get kicked off the plane for Lena not wearing a mask the whole time. Cause well, like we, we, yeah. we've like, we've like kind of like trained her up so she knows yeah. she can wear it for a little bit. So we're just like not going to have her wear it in the airport because like that won't go well. Yep. Um, we're yep. just going to put her on like right when we're walking in to like the flight attendants know like, Hey, we're making an effort. Don't yell at us, please. And then we're gonna have her sit by the window and then just like have snacks ready. And hopefully she doesn't yell at us. She's, she's eating. Well, she can't wear the mask. That's right. Like, how, how's that possible? <laughs> um, well, so we can get into some Bible stuff, I guess. Um, we are, we are getting <laughs> into some, on Catholics uh, with Bibles, we yeah, pledge yeah, to talk about the Bible, Bible here. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about things that get us in the mood to celebrate the season of Christmas here. And one of the things that I've been meditating on for really a couple of years in a row now is St. John Damascene's three treatises on the divine 
images. And it sounds a little bit heady, but it's actually quite simple. You can read it online for free. You can also check it out in the popular patristic series. You know about the popular patristic series? Yeah, it's a good time. Short, little, colorful mm -hmm. deals there. Great if you're, uh, if you're into that sort of thing. But here's the main point that John was dealing with here. He, th This is in the year 700s in Byzantium, so it's the eastern part of the Roman Empire, and the emperor, Emperor Leo III, had just declared an iconoclasm, basically meaning that Christians were not allowed to make or produce or worship with icons. So what are icons? They're like mosaics of Jesus or the saints or paintings or grave, graven images. So when right? people think that Protestants were the first iconoclast, you'd be wrong. Yeah, Catholics <laughs> have been trying to stamp this out for, <laughs> for quite a long time here. But uh, a new religion popped up that you may have heard of called Islam. And uh, Islam is, of course, famously iconoclastic. It rejects depictions of its own prophets, etc., etc. And so there's a multitude of reasons why the emperor did this. But John's task, St. John, is to convince the emperor that he's wrong. And he does it using an argument from the Incarnation. He uses a Christmas time argument here. So the emperor in his iconoclast said, well, God told Moses in the Ten Commandments not to use any grave images in their worship. Only problem is, five chapters later in Exodus 25, God says, hey, by the way, I need you to make some graven images, specifically about the cherubim over the tabernacle. So John goes, it, it's important here that we recognize there's a distinction between these two kinds of images. And the rationale for why God said that in the first place about graven images comes to us in Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 16. Since you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire, take care and watch yourselves closely so that you do not act corruptly by making an idol for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. Since you saw no form, Moses, when you were on Sinai, you saw some thunder, and you, I, I mean, you, you heard some thunder, I should yeah, say. That's right. You saw some lightning that's impressive. And, and some smoke <laughs> and some fire, but you did not see the form of God. You don't know what God looks like. So any depiction that you made would be necessarily inaccurate. So then you head over to the New Testament, and you look at the way and John's doing this, he's outlining all of this in the book, you look at the way that like St. Paul will talk about Jesus uh, in Philippians 2, Jesus who though he was in the form of God, in the form of God, right, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. Something like in Colossians where Jesus is described as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What's the whole point of that? John's argument, his whole book really can be boiled down into three points. God the Son became a human being and the man Jesus Christ. Thus, Matter, in some sense, has been made holy, sanctified in some way by the Son of God taking on flesh. Thus, now, finally, we can make depictions of Jesus, and we can worship with those depictions without committing idolatry. Basic, the basic point is, once upon a time, we didn't know what God looked like, but now we do. God looks like Jesus. Right. And so this argument from the Incarnation here, really, uh, he, he you, you imagine like Luke Skywalker going to the emperor. Like, so John Damascene's marching up to the Hagia Sophia to have this month-long meeting, and they have a, the seventh ecumenical council happens, and they argue about this for a month. But John's position eventually wins the day, which is why the Catholic Church is such an icona philic, icona philac. <laughs> sure. We like images a lot we do. In, in our religion here. And it's important that the images are there to point you to a deeper reality and a deeper truth, right? So like even John, it's like we don't worship the image itself. Like it is a piece of wood or like it's... You know, it's a it's a it's a bunch of chemical materials and paints. Yeah, stuff, right? he he draws a very helpful distinction between worship and veneration. Sure, and yeah. he's drawing on Saint Augustine to to do this also. So, 
Um, nobody, so St. Augustine to Faustus will say, nobody when they're celebrating the Mass on the tomb of some saint will say, and now, O Cyprian, we offer you the Mass. Right? Right, yeah. And now, uh, St. Peter, we offer you the Mass. Like, that's just not, like, that ultimate kind of worship that you offer God in the Mass is never directed to a saint or right. anybody who's depicted in a statue. The only, like that. only material thing you'll ever worship on this side of heaven is the Eucharist because, uh, you know, Jesus is there and truly present in the Eucharist. But you don't worship bread um, because that would be dumb. Why would you do that? <laughs> it would be really dumb to worship bread. It would be. In case anybody's considering doing so, that. So one thing that's always kind of fun to talk about too that I think people get confused and not, I think people get confused on, people definitely get confused on, is this whole, whole idea of um, God becoming man, that that language, that terminology, right? Um, it's is that an, confusing to them? It, I, I think one, if they try to think about it seriously, I think it is because then they, their brain instantly goes to God changes and God can't change because he's outside of time. There's no time to change. That whole impassibility business. Yeah, yeah. So this is a bit more in the realm of philosophy, but it's important when it comes to talking about incarnation. Um, so the way I kind of think about it, for better or for worse, um, we have to remember that, yeah, God can't change. God qua God can't change. So, but you say, but the son of God became man. So therefore he changed. We have to remember that it wasn't divinity that came down. It was rather an elevation of, of humanity to encounter the second person of the word, right? And it's really hard to picture that outside of time because you, it's, we're human and it's a mystery. So I say all this basically and saying, remember, this is a mystery that will never be fully explained until you're dead. Um, but we must remember that it's humanity that changes, not divinity, right? Um, there's a great book by Thomas Wine, Andy, called Can God Change? It's a great book. It's all about this. Um, because, uh, yeah, because God as God can't change. So the son of God all of a sudden isn't like just chilling and then all of a sudden wakes up one day when Jesus recognizes that he's divine as a human being and says, whoa, I'm God. Like that's not really, the divine person doesn't change, right? Um, it does get super interesting when you start talking about, when you start talking about the uh, human intellect of Jesus though. Have you ever gotten into those kind of rabbit holes. What, what did Jesus know? Yeah. At what right? points did he know? Yeah. Um, yeah. The school of thought I fall into, and I don't know if it's the same school of thought as you, um, is basically everything that it was possible for a human being to know at any given stage of Jesus's life, he knew. But as a two-year-old, he didn't. He knew it was proper to two-year-olds. To two-year-olds, to, yeah. to the fullest extent of his, in, his formed <laughs> intellect, basically, <laughs> right? Um, and then obviously as he grew, he developed, his intellect grew and developed to the, but obviously it was it was divinized by his nature, right? As the person, the son of God, as other natures, divine nature, right? So that's kind of where I stand with that. Um, and so at some points, we don't know exactly when, G the, human, the human intellect of Jesus did not know, full, or did not fully comprehend his divinity. Well, I, I think there, and I think there's at least one concrete point in the scriptures where we can point to where Jesus himself makes that explicit, where he's talking about... Uh, Son of Man coming again in his glory and judgment and all of that. And he says, this is only for the Father to know. Sure. Only the Father knows this one. So that's at least one point where. Right. And, and then and I, I guess. Think Luke the, 3, it talks about Jesus growing in stature. Wisdom right? and stature yeah, yeah, and yeah. favor with God and men. Right. Jesus grew, okay, well, in a couple of different specific yeah. ways. Yeah. What we don't want to say, though, is we don't want to fall into adoptionism, right? And, and this is a, a school of thought that um, a lot of non-Catholics fall into where they point to Jesus' baptism and the theophany that occurs there. And this says, is my beloved son. Yeah, it says, oh, boom, that's when Jesus becomes God. Um, and that's a, a heresy called adoptionism, right? Um, and that heresy, in order to work, 
whoever the person of Jesus was before that point would have been obliterated by the divine person, right? And obviously, we know as Catholics, that's not that Grace works. perfects nature, yes. not destroys it. Yeah, exactly. And do you, have you ever met like a real adoptionist? Or like, Dude. are there any adoptionists oh, yeah. writing or talking about that stuff today? You see it, I think, more in like uh, non-denominational circles. Uh, I have family members who... Really? Or adoptionist. What do they think that does? Like, what's the, I mean, what's that theology for? Like, I mean, it's just sort of a silly, errant reading of the Bible, but what, yeah, why yeah. do they think it's good? Uh, you know, honestly, it's, I remember, I don't want to say who it is. Um, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying not to say who it's it is. Aunt, it's friggin' uh, Aunt Marge gets herself into right, this yeah. stuff all the time. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, so if I remember, this was years ago when it came up. Um, we've stopped bringing up theology with this uh, relative um, <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of the relationship. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, it, it was something, it, I, I don't really remember what brought it up. It was just, but they were firmly planted on this ground that, um, yeah, that Jesus, like he became God at that point. It wasn't through Mary. Maybe it was because we talking about Mary or something like that. Mary wasn't the Theotokos. I think they were trying to go against that. Are they maybe. Protestant fam? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. So I think it was, I think it was in lieu of, they don't want to give Mary honor. So therefore she's not Theotokos because adoptionism. We, <laughs> we, yeah. Because right. she wouldn't be if that if that's true. If, if adoption holds holds any water, she would not be Theotokos. Yeah, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't want to believe in the immaculate conception. So you trade in a, a heresy for that, I suppose. Yeah, right. interesting route. I, I think that's what it was, if I remember right. All right. Um, all right. But yeah. So anyway, all this to say, uh, important to remember that um, yeah, the, it's the humanity, it's the human nature that is. Elevated, not spatially, but rather uh, uh, by degree of magnitude. Is that the right way to say it? Or by uh, ontological necessity? It's the human nature that is ontologically changed in order to encounter the divine. It's not the divine changing um, who, what, what it is, because it can't. Right. It was always helpful for, not I say always, in recent <laughs> times, it's been helpful for me to think about the distinction that's really helpful in uh, it's a little commercial for Greek here, uh, between <laughs> God's ousia and his hypostases, right? Sure. Like God's substance, God's essence, God's isness yeah. is different. Ipsum uh, esse. Yeah, mind. yeah, yeah, as Bishop Barron loves to yeah. loves to harp on there, is different from uh, his hypostases, his persons. Yeah. So um, that's really what a lot of these Trinitarian debates are about. We're, we're trying to figure it. Jesus said, go into the world and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you have a group of monotheists trying to figure out how this can be the case. Right. So, yeah, so it's important. Uh, so hypostases, um, all these other kind of words, they were, de they were kind of developed later on in tradition. Um, a great book um, by, by a Capuchin friar named Thomas Wynandy called Jesus Becoming Jesus. It's on my desk right now. Um, phenomenal book. And so a lot of times you won't see these kind of words in a lot of Bible commentaries because uh, the words themselves aren't found in Scripture. So a lot of, definitely a lot of Protestants won't use them. Um, and a lot of Catholics won't for fear of being viewed as not academic, maybe. Um, but anyway, Joseph Wynandy, um, it's uh, Jesus Becoming Jesus is his theological interpretation of the Synoptic Gospels. And he purposely says, I will not hold back from using like Catholic lingo 
essentially, which is beautiful, I think. I mean, you don't read it like a commentary, right? It's, it's more of a, a theological interpretation, but he uses all these hot button words like hypostasis, ipsum essay, and all these things. The uh, God, God becoming man is kind of the central tenet of this whole Christianity yeah, that's right. thing here. Where I, I God became man, so man became God, right? And it's, yeah. It's I, I encountered this in a new way when I went to Turkey, and I think it was 2014. Oh, that's dope. I was over there. So I've been to the Hagia Sophia. It's, oh, it's, it's lovely. That's awesome. Um, my most politically incorrect opinion is that we should make Constantin or make Istanbul Constantinople again. <laughs> you, you might have you might have to bleep that out. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, so that was a great time over there, and we were meeting with some friends of my professor. My professor lived over there and uh, spoke fluent Arabic, and uh, and he was conversant in Hebrew and Turkish, and just uh, an indispensable guy to have around. And so we went to the house of these sheiks, and they um, they wanted to debate with us about the incarnation because this, this is like the key sticking point right. between Islam and Christianity. They don't believe God; they believe God is so transcendent that right. the kind of imminence that the incarnation requires is just unfathomable. Had I known about Saint John Damascene at the time, I might have brought that up. But right. here's a little section here from his book that I wanted to share with y'all. So this is in. Uh, either paragraph or chapter 16. I can't remember. It's been a hot minute. 16. 16. It's in number 16. In former times, God, who is without former body, could never be depicted. But now when God is seen in the flesh conversing with men, I make an image of the God whom I see. I do not worship matter. I worship the creator of matter who became matter for my sake. And then he goes on and on and on about the glory of matter. And at the end, he goes... Uh, either do away with the honor and veneration these things deserve, and by these things he means like the gospel book, the altar, uh, crosses, patents, chalices, it's, it's, etc. Either do away with the honor and veneration these things deserve, or accept the tradition of the church and the veneration of images. Reverence God and his friends. Follow the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do not despise matter. It is not despicable. God has made nothing despicable, mm. um, which uh, somewhere a Calvinist is crying because <laughs> he believes that all matter is despicable. That's or right. Something well, like it's that. it's important to know because incarnation. If you if you get incarnation wrong, all of Catholic theology is, is out the window. Right. Sure. It's, yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. The logic doesn't follow. And even the incarnational analogy of scripture, right. Um, of Jesus becoming man. And, and so once again, it's the Holy spirit being the incarnation analogy of scripture, the Holy spirit becoming this tangible living reality in the, in the form of sacred scripture that is supposed to educate us, supposed to inspire us. It's supposed to change our hearts. Like I think it's, uh, what is it? James. We talk about the scripture as a mirror, um, but it's a mirror that we should see and, and correct, right? So when you read scripture, is that James? I think it's James. Anyway, um, and uh, it's one of those things where you, you, I think it's James too. Anyway, whatever. Um, it, the whole idea, the, the analogy is when you read scripture, um, you're supposed to notice where your soul doesn't match up with what is in scripture, right? So like, as for example, the best example probably in the, in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount, Right. I think every single person on this earth, when they read the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to hit one point where you're like, oh, crap, I don't do that, right? Or like, oh, man, yeah, I, I fall short in that way. And once again, it's, it's, a, it's a mirror showing you the state of your soul in order that you could strive for growth and holiness, right? Uh, well, I'm not sure what you think about Bonhoeffer. Uh, the, I haven't read too much of him. Perhaps the 20th century's most famous Christian martyr, uh, yeah. Lutheran martyr. But um, he has a great little quote on, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, I, I'm pretty sure he starts off his commentary this way, but he goes, you know what? At the end of the day, 
interpreting the Sermon on the on the Mount becomes for some people a great substitute for obeying it. <laughs> like <laughs> getting funny. caught in, up in the weeds about what could this thing mean and how sure. could we possibly like Jesus's commands are pretty straightforward, guys. Yeah. Like why don't you just and, and starting with, from the top too? Like you, you've heard, "Thou shall not kill." You shall not get angry with your brother. It's like, well, crap. Turn up the heat here. Yeah, that's right. And then you shall not say "raka," you fool. Right? It's like so. Basically, anytime you get angry or call somebody something not charitable, you are already screwing up the Sermon on the Mount. And that's only the first chapter of the three, and like the first section, not the first section, but like one of the first sections of of the Sermon on the Mount. So anyway. With our remaining time here, I want to plug a little, uh, a little hymn, a little Christmas oh, yeah, time hymn here that I, I imagine most American Catholics will not be familiar with. So, if you guys, this is not a time for me to promote things that are about me. But if you, I do write for a little blog called Loss and Gain. How dare hey, you self promote hey, on this? I'm just I don't make any money what's from it, this. What's it called again? It's called LossandGain.org. And uh, there's a little section that I wrote here about a hymn by Bob Chilcott called The Shepherd's Carol. And I, I just venture that most American Catholic folks will not have heard of it because it arises in an Anglican context. But this is the kind of music I was listening to years ago that was priming my heart to imagine and think about Mary in a new way and eventually lead to me becoming Catholic before I even knew what was going on. So it's a great little inception that you can plant in the <laughs> minds of your non-Catholic friends and fam. Probably more... More specifically, the Episcopal ones. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Or any who are just kind of like curious about Mary, sure, but don't yeah, know. Yeah, like yeah. they they think, okay, uh, my Protestant friends don't think about Mary, and Catholics think about Mary too much. Like, what should I do? You know, they kind of find themselves in the middle. Yeah. Um, do you do you maybe you could? I don't want to play the thing because it's kind of long. Um, yeah, there's no way I could. It would sound good. What if you? Uh, what if you just read the italicized text oh, here? Okay. And see how it strikes you. Let's what if do you, it. You, and you've never seen this before. No, I have not. It's Chilcott's Let's The Shepherd's it. Carol. Who? What's the name? Bob Chilcott. Is that even, is that even English? <laughs> <laughs> right. He's an Englishman. All right, all right. We stood on the hills, lady. Our day's work done, watching the frosted meadows that winter had won. The evening was calm, lady. The air so still. Silence more lovely than music folded the hill. There was a star, lady, shone in the night. Larger than Venus, it was it was and bright so bright oh a voice from the sky lady it seemed to us then telling of god being born in the world of men and so we have come lady our day's work done our love our hopes ourselves we give to your son oh that's beautiful so it's like an address to mary yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you you've got to hear it but I think the it's it's palatable for folks who don't have a lot of Mary and devotion because of that last line here. And so we have come, Lady, our days were done. Our hope, our our love, our hopes, ourselves, we give to your son. So the the lyrics are there embodying like the thought of the yeah. shepherds, possibly. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing when I, when it comes to Mary and devotion, um, which we have, I don't think we talked about the show before, but you you you're always going to miss the boat if you end at Mary, right? Like you're missing the mark if you stop at Mary because Mary's whole role is to point you to her son. Right. Is to is you're not supposed to stop at Mary. Right. Like I t- I've said this before. Maybe it's controversial. If you if you talk to Mary more than Jesus, there's a problem. Yeah, sure. Right. Like yeah. If, yeah. If, if all you're doing is is praying the rosary without contemplating the mysteries therein. Right. Um, don't get me wrong. The rosary is a beautiful prayer. I pray the rosary every day. Like Pray the rosary. Um, but if you're if you're stopping at just saying the words without meditating on the mysteries of Christ or simply like asking for Mary to intercede for you all the time, it's beautiful, it's good, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's problematic if you talk to Mary more than Jesus or any mm-hmm. of the saints for that matter, mm-hmm. right? Because they all are there to, to point you 
to, to him. Right. Do you have any more Christmas time goodies that you want to direct mm. our people to? Any like devotions or music or books or anything to get uh, them in the spirit? Dr. Michael Barber has a great book that's, that's basically brand new. Uh, on the, it's called The True Meaning of Christmas. Anyway, talk, doc, if you Google Dr. Michael Barber um, Christmas, you'll find it. Um, it's uh, published by, I think, Ignatius and Augustine Institute co-published it. Um, it got sold out like three times on Amazon. I think it's number one bestseller Catholic book right now. Rad. Um, it's really good. Vive and I are about halfway through it. We were supposed to finish it before Christmas. We'll see if that happens. Um, so far, it's great. We have a little devotional book that we've been coming back to by our old pal Thomas Merton. Oh, are yeah. You, are you a Mertonian? Do you like, um, do you like I Thomas like, Merton? I like his early stuff. Um, he, he gets a little problematic near the end of his life. There, there's some there's some open questions about his Buddhist yeah, connections. Correct. Yeah, but, but uh, I, think, I think the first 25 years of his writing is brilliant his seven story mountain is gold it's, yeah it's wonderful yeah right? he, he has a uh, he has a really fun little um advent I, I can't remember who published it maybe is it ignatius what ignatius, ignatius does like post publish a lot of things it's uh <laughs> like advent and christmas with thomas merton and it's just his oh, cool. his riffs on different sections of the gospels yeah i think time. everyone should read seven story mountain um i think it's one of the most beautiful uh 20th century catholic works Right now, I mean, not right now, but this yeah. theme of ascent, ascent mm. up to God, is yeah. is huge in the classic Catholic devotional, yeah, literature. That's right. Um, well, I think that's about about all the time we got. It's about time. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Merry Christmas. We won't say Happy New Year because if you know your liturgy, that happened on Advent One, and we totally didn't say Happy New Year. We forgot to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. So, <laughs> Merry Christmas and late Happy New that's Year. That's right. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll see you next time on Catholics with God. Catholics with Bibles. Maybe about Catholics with Bibles. <laughs> Words are thing. Merry Christmas, y'all. God Words bless. are hard. Hey, y'all. We appreciate you listening and tuning in with us today on Catholics with Bibles. We took a little break today to do a special Christmas-themed episode, but we'll be back in the saddle soon to tackle the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians. So, you know, check in with us in the year of our Lord 2022, and we'll see about that. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>